Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we've already mentioned, we're going to be observing the ordinance of the Lord's Supper this morning. And about a year ago, um, I actually preached on the subject of the Lord's Supper uh, because I wanted to make sure that uh, we understood what it was that we were doing and the significance of what we do. But the Lord's Supper is just one of the two primary ordinances that Jesus Christ gave to his church before he ascended up into heaven. The other ordinance, of course, being baptism, being baptism. And so I just really have felt as though God has been leading me for several weeks, if not a couple months, to, be, to take some time and to begin to address the subject of baptism and what the Bible specifically says about it this morning. Now, before we do, and before we take the Lord's Supper, we'll teach on that just for a couple minutes. We don't have much time this morning. Um, but before I do that, I want to say a couple things. Uh, I want to uh, say this. I want to say that the doctrine of baptism, uh, as all doctrines, are important, but they are not what I would say one of the major doctrines in the Word of God. In other words, some might say that they are not doctrines that we hold with a closed fist. That simply means that there are some differing views of other people who are truly born again, truly saved, they know Christ, they've been saved by grace through faith alone. We have dear Presbyterian brothers and sisters in Christ, some of who actually go to our church. I I love them dearly. Um, We do have, uh, in our church, you do have uh, have to take part in believer's baptism. That is a part of joining our church, but I'll tell you this. Uh, those brothers and sisters that I know at this church, I love them dearly, and I would do anything for them. I can sit down. They love this church. They serve at this church. They serve, but it's a difference in, in, in our belief on what Scripture says, and so I respect them for holding to their convictions of the Word, but it's not what I believe, uh, nor this church believes as a whole, that the Bible teaches about baptism, and so we have to address it. But I love them, and and they love me, and here's the idea. It's not a reason to break fellowship over. Uh, We love each other, and I I can sit down with those brothers and sisters and talk all day and never disagree on so much of our theology, and we love each other so much, and our unity is in Christ. But we do disagree in the area of baptism. So with, with that said, what I really would like to be able to do this morning is three, th- three things, address three specific issues concerning baptism, and that is, first of all, the manner of baptism. How is it to be done? Uh, the second is the meaning of baptism. Why is it done? Why are we supposed to take part in it? And thirdly, the mandate of baptism. And the mandate of baptism is simply who is supposed to take part in this process of believer's baptism that we call it here and in as a southern baptist well first of all let's look at the mode of baptism today there are two primary ways in which people seek to be baptized the actual uh, act of baptism there's sprinkling and then there is immersion so we want to let you know why it is that we immerse here Uh, the reason that we do that is number one is because of the very definition of the word to baptize the word itself baptize or to baptize is the greek word baptizo And the clearest understanding of this word literally is, means to plunge, to dip, or to immerse. And so when we're calling to be baptized, we're calling to be plunged, dipped, or immersed. Does that make sense? So for me, biblically, it doesn't make any sense to say that we baptize through sprinkling. Because again, what it would say is that we are being dipped, we are being plunged, we are being immersed by sprinkling. And that's 
impossible to be able to do. And so one reason that we as Baptists, we hold to uh, baptism through immersion is because of the very word itself. Secondly, is because of the evidence that is found in the word of God. Uh, whenever we see baptism being done, the clearest pictures of people actually going through the process of baptism, everyone that I know of anyway in the word of God always leads us to, to understand it as baptism through immersion. For example, uh, we are getting familiar with the book of Mark, of course. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 5, we, saw John, we see John there, and he's baptizing people as they're coming out into the wilderness. And this is what the scriptures say. Listen very closely. He says, And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him. Now notice, in the river Jordan. Not beside it, not near it. But in it, the Greek word is en there. The article there is en. And so, so we understand in that example that there is a sense of immersion being done in the river. Then when we see Jesus being baptized, from what we can tell in verse 10, after he's baptized, the scriptures then say, and when he came up out of the water, now here's the idea, if you come out of the water, it precludes the idea that you went into the water. You can't come out of a church that you didn't go into a church. Does that kind of make sense? And so in John chapter 3 and verse 23, again, the scriptures say this, John also was baptizing at Enon near Salim because water was plentiful there. Did you choke that? Did you check that? They were baptizing there. Why? Because the water was plentiful there, it says, and the people were coming and being baptized. Now, if you stop and think, if you only have to baptize people by sprinkling with them water, you don't have to have plentiful amounts of water. You don't have to go out to a river. All you have to do is you could get a bucket of water and you could probably baptize by sprinkling a couple hundred people if you wanted to. But if you are going to immerse people, you need more than a bucket of water. You need a river. And so that's how we understand the scriptures there. Let me provide for you uh, one more example from the text that I read in the beginning of the service. It's a story of, um, of, that many of you are familiar with, with um, the Ethiopian eunuch. And, and, and there is the deacon, and he, and he comes, Philip, he's called by God. He, he interjects a man who is an Ethiopian eunuch. This Ethiopian eunuch was a very prominent man. He would have been very rich, very affluent. He was in charge of the money of the queen of Ethiopia, Candace, and he had gone to Jerusalem from Ethiopia to worship. And so on his way back, you know, he stopped by the Christian bookstore, you know, picked up an Isaiah scroll, and he's heading back, you know, and he's reading, and all of a sudden, he is interjected and intercepted by uh, Philip, and Philip says, do you know what it is that you're reading? And he says, how will I know unless somebody explains what it is that I am reading. And so he begins to express it and begins to share the gospel with him. And from all accounts, we believe he comes to faith in Christ. And, and this is what it says in chapter 8 and verse 36. It said, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and, you, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now understand something. Again, he was an affluent man, very important. He was in a chariot. For heaven's sake, he wasn't walking back and forth. This means he had a great deal of money. And so traveling back and forth in that type of hot, arid type environment, you would need water. So there would have been plenty of water there that they would have had to be able to drink on their journey. So it would have been very easy just to take a few little sprinkles of water and sprinkle it on, on Philip to be baptized if that's the way they were to do it. But Philip finds that that's not sufficient for him. 
And neither does, uh, of course, the deacon at this particular point. And so what does the Bible say in verse 38 and 39? And he commended the chariot to stop, and they both went down, notice this, down into the water. And Philip and the eunuch, and, and, uh, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way um, rejoicing. So we see in this passage, they're going in the water, and they're coming out of the water for baptism. And so what we find is the first reason, what is the mode of baptism? We believe here according to the word of God, the clearest understanding is through immersion. Why? Because the very word baptism means to immerse. And then the clearest examples we have of that baptism in the word of God is through immersion. Now let me give you the second point here. The second is the meaning of baptism. The meaning of baptism. In other words, what, you know, um, I think that's right. The mode, do I have it? Meaning? I can't read this new thing. What's it say up there? The meaning. Why? That's it. Why? Why this baptism that we're ultimately doing? Why do we go through it? Well, let me make very, very clear, and we all will agree on this, I believe, is that baptism is not necessary for salvation. You don't have to get baptized in order to be saved. Now, this is completely different than maybe some of our upbringing, especially if you're from a Roman Catholic background or a Disciples of Christ or a church, the Church of Christ. Many of these churches believe in baptismal regeneration. They believe that you must, for example, the Disciples of Christ teach that you cannot be saved unless you are baptized. Um, the Catholic Church teaches not only can you not be saved, but it is actually through the process of baptism in which you become saved, that you are regenerated. It is the means by which you are saved. This physical act is literally saving you, changing you from the inside out. Well, we don't believe that at all, do we? We don't believe that at all. Why? Because we believe, remember, there was this little thing called the Reformation. Do you remember that little Reformation thing? Where... I don't think some of you have heard of the Reformation. We need to do a little more teaching on that. But during the Reformation, what happens? Very godly men like Martin Luther is beside himself. He knows he can never earn his salvation. And he begins and he begins to read in Romans in different passages. And he comes to the idea that we are saved by grace through faith alone. Not grace through faith plus any works or plus anything, plus baptism, nothing. No, Christ, through grace through faith we are saved. And so we don't want to add anything to that. So if salvation is not necessary, uh, excuse me, if baptism is not necessarily then for salvation, why is it necessary? Why is it that we practice it? Let me explain my understanding of the word in, in many Baptists is this, is baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. It's an outward sign of an inward reality. In other words, it is demonstrating to everyone, to believers and to a lost and dying world, that something very unique happened inside of us. And this picture of baptism is giving them an idea of what it is that happened. Does that make sense? And so we read, for example, in Romans chapter 6, verse 34, Paul tells us what happened to us when God saved us. He says, We are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of uh, excuse me, uh, the glory of, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So he speaks of us baptizing with Christ, dying and then coming up and being alive in Christ. Colossians 2.12, he teaches this to the Colossians. He says, you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. 
So these two passages are demonstrating that what baptism does, it identifies us with Christ. And it identifies us with Christ in two specific ways. Number one, it, it pictures how Christ secured our salvation. How many of you know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sins? How many know that, right? But how many know it was not for his sin, it was for our sin? He died on the cross, he was placed in a tomb, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. Why? He went to the cross to die for our sins, to satisfy the wrath of God pent up towards sinners like you and I, to satisfy it. When he was in the tomb and he, raised, he was raised on the third day, his resurrection demonstrates the fact that the wrath of God towards us was satisfied. That's why Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And that's what we see at baptism. We're reminded of the gospel, of what Jesus Christ did. But there's a second thing that we identify with Christ with, and that is not only what he did to secure our salvation, but what he did in the process of saving us, in the actual act of saving us. See, second, it pictures what happened when we, uh, when we experience salvation. We were sinners towards God. We had a sin nature. We were born with that sin nature. Anybody identify with me? That's why we sin. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because at the core of our hearts, we're sinners. And so in order to save us, God had to put that old nature away and to kill that thing and to give us a new nature. So when we were, when we were saved, God put a death to that old nature. Now, does this mean we never struggle with sin? Not at all, right? We wrestle every day, but that's the key. We wrestle with it. We fight against it. We hate it. God has given us a new nature, a new nature that desires the things of God, the desire to know him, the desire to read his word, the desire to make him known. This is what the act of God does. And so just as Jesus Christ was raised in new life, guess what? We were raised to a new life. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. What things? All things have become new. We become new people as we now follow Christ. So that's the essence in the significance of what this pictures. It's an outward sign, outward illustration of the inward reality of the gospel and the salvation that Jesus has granted to us. Now, here's what I want you to see. And why do we need that outward sign of that inward reality? Because it's our public profession of faith. See, this is where so many Southern Baptists, I, I believe, get it wrong. Uh, this is where we get a lot of things wrong sometimes, not knowingly, and sometimes we say things we don't mean. But here's one thing that we certainly get wrong, and that is that we say your public profession of faith is when you go down and you shake the pastor's hand and you tell him that you're saved, and then he turns around and says, well, Brother Mike's coming today and asking Jesus you know, as his Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen! This is public profession of faith. Well, listen, that's a wonderful thing. If one of you were to walk the aisle today and sit there and say, Jesus, save me, I would turn and go, praise Jesus, all right? You'd make my day, you'd make my hour, you'd make my week, you'd make my month, we'd rejoice with you, we'd give you cash, I'm just joking, right? We wouldn't do any of those things, but we'd celebrate the miracle that is salvation with you. And so what happens is, is that's great, but Biblically, the public profession of faith in Christ Jesus, of what Jesus Christ has done for you, comes at the point of baptism. That's letting everybody know that you had not only what the gospel is, but that, guess what? That you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but through the completed work of Jesus Christ, you are now alive unto Christ in a new life. Man, that's an awesome picture. 
Now, when we read the scriptures, at least the best that I could tell, there's always a specific order that the Bible says. And I'm just using regular hermeneutics, clearly in the word of God, we always see a specific order. It's not baptism, then salvation. It's salvation, then baptism. It, look at a couple passages in the Word of God, Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. There, Peter, after his sermon at Pentecost, says, And those who received the Word, that is, those who received it by faith, those who were born again, he says, were, what? Baptized. Then in Acts chapter 8 and verse 12, Philip, the same Philip here, the deacon, before he meets up with the Ethiopian eunuch, he's preaching there the gospel in Samaria. And the scripture says, but when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they believed the gospel. They were born again through a miracle of God. It says they were baptized, both men and women. Then finally in Acts chapter 10 and verse 47 through 48, Peter said, Can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people? He's referring to people who would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And here's what he says. He says, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. He says, they've received the Spirit. There's no reason for them now not to be baptized. So we see that in the Scriptures. So we understand two things very clearly. I believe from the Word of God. We believe the manner of baptism. That means how to be immersed The meaning of baptism, why ought we to as a public profession of faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the reality of the gospel having taken life in our life, the miracle of God of salvation. Here's the third thing that we see in the word of God. Finally, the mandate of baptism. Who ought to be baptized? And this is what I would say. I would say that those that are commanded to be baptized are those that are commanded, those who are born again. Those who salvation is a reality. Those who are demonstrating consistent fruit that they've truly been born again, that's who ought to be baptized. Now, a child for me cannot do those things. He doesn't understand it. Now, I, we don't have time to go through this. And, and listen, the people who do pedo baptism, they have a reason for doing that. It's not like tradition. Uh, it is because of their theology and covenant theology. I just disagree with how they interpret that, but at least, at least they understand what they believe by the Bible, right? And that's what they believe their interpretation is. But I believe that it's always baptism for those who have been born again. Jesus commands that all believers are born again. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So if we're commanded to be baptized, all people, guess what? We should all then be baptized once we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Peter, the disciples, um, commanded that we ought to be baptized. Acts 2, 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, it says repent and be baptized. Now, this is what the church of Christ would say. Look, it says be baptized for the remission of sin. Well, understand something. The disciples never believed that you had to be baptized to be saved. But he knew that all that would, and this is is my belief of the scripture, that, that, that baptism was such, so closely related in the first century to salvation because it was a radical change of life and a radical break that would ultimately change your life. And you had to have guts to get baptized. Does that make sense? You're coming, you're being baptized, you're baptized There's a break from your sinful ways. People know where you stand, especially if you come and you say that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. So the baptism, now listen, so that we're clear. So baptism is not necessary for salvation. 
But it is necessary for obedience. I believe that's what the Word of God teaches for every born-again believer. The Bible, I believe, is very clear on that. The commands are very clear on that. Some people will ask, well, Brother Mike, is there some kind of special blessing that we get? Uh, you know, it's funny. As though we're not blessed enough, we're always looking for another special blessing, right? Um, you know, so what happens, and that wasn't funny, I guess, because you guys didn't laugh. All right, so moving on. Um, so stick with the text. Stick with the text. All right, stick with the text. Here's what the scripture says: is, is, is there a special blessing? Or people say, is there a special blessing? And I would say, well, generally, of course there is. In all obedience, there is a blessing from God. But in the same exact way is there obedience and there's a blessing there, I believe that disobedience brings, according to Hebrews chapter 12, discipline for the believer. Listen, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you believe that baptism comes after salvation and you do not and you were not baptized after your salvation, the Bible says, James chapter 4 verse 7, if you know what to do is right and you do not do it to you, it is accounted sin. Now, what do we do with those? There are some who do not believe. They're more of the pedo baptism, the sprinkling, that, that area. They do not get baptized. I don't want to explain too much, but they, they, for them to be baptized, for them, it would go against what they, their convictions of what they believe the word of God would say. And they need to deal with that. But with us, in being as Southern Baptists, we believe in believer's baptism. And so if we are not being obedient to what we believe the word of God calls us to do, that is when we get ourselves in trouble. Would you agree? And so let me share this with you just very quickly. Over the last 20 years of ministry, it's hard to believe I've been in the ministry that long, but over the last 20 years uh, or so of ministry, um, one of the things that I've noticed is that people will really struggle with this because what they've done is they would have, quote, walked the aisle, VBS, whatever it is, revival, church, whatever it is, and, quote, they got saved and and nothing wrong with that again. Then they were baptized. And then later in life, what they did is they lived for 5, 10, 15, 30 years apart from Jesus, never, ever, never evidencing any kind of fruit that was consistent with repentance that they were ever born again. How many of you know that the Bible teaches that there is no such thing as easy believism? There is no such thing as, as salvation apart from lordship salvation. Lordship salvation says you submit yourself fully and completely to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. And so what we find in the word of God is this, is that, is that or what we find in, I'm sorry, in, with many people is they get so far removed and then God saves them somewhere down here, somewhere, and all of a sudden everything changes. You guys know what I'm talking about? Everything changes. They love differently. They live differently in their life. And all of a sudden they're going, dude, I know I'm saved. They begin to read the word, study the word. They begin to teach. They become leaders. They begin to lead groups. They begin to do everything. They're givers. They, they love Jesus. They even begin to mentor other people in the faith. But always back kind of in their mind is this nagging, you know, my baptism is on the wrong side of my salvation. I can't do it now. I can't come forward now. What will people think of me? What will people think if I come forward and, and I tell them that I wasn't obedient to this? They may cause them to stumble. They may think I'm a, a weaker believer in Jesus Christ. You know, I've even seen some people who are struggling with this. It's their conviction through what they believe the word of God is again. And they didn't want to get baptized again. Actually, it's not baptized for the first time, true baptism, um, because they were afraid their parents were going to be upset. And I've seen parents who were upset. Now stop and think about this. You raise your child, they get saved. You think, oh, phew, cross that off my list. They walk the aisle, they prayed a prayer, they got baptized. Woo, at least they're saved, right? Right? Hey, man, we're good for that. And so check that off your list. And so all these years go by, you believe in that your child, are you guys tracking with me at all? You believe your child is saved, right? And then all of a sudden, 
There's a radical change in your life. You prayed, oh, Jesus, just let him come back, just let him come back. He never came. He never came. She never came. She, never, she or he never produced true, lasting fruit, which is consistent with authentic repentance, regeneration, and salvation. Are you with me? And so what happens there is they, they begin to struggle, and, they, and I had to deal with the young man. He goes, but if I do it, my, my parents, I've talked with my parents, they're going to feel like a failure. Listen, you were a failure. Man, what you did is you poured the gospel of Jesus Christ and God's law in his life so that all this time that he has been rebelling and everything else, he hasn't enjoyed it. You've corrupted him. He can't go anywhere where the, your words of, 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 of salvation get away from you. You did exactly what you were supposed to do. You planted the seeds. And then one day, supernaturally, and we know not how, that, life came, that seed came to life. It sprang to life. And it began to bear fruit. And so now he wants to be baptized, but he doesn't want to hurt mom, and his, his mommy and daddy don't know what to do. What do we do in cases like this? Well, I want to give you kind of this example, and I'll, I'll, sh- I'll close with this, and then we'll turn our focus, we'll have invitation and turn our focus to the Lord's Supper. Dr. Herb Ravis, many of you know him from North Jacksonville Baptist Church, wonderful godly man, wonderful preacher of the word. Uh, he's dynamic. I mean, hollering Herb Ravis. If you ever heard him, that's, that's a good name. Uh, he is the father of Jonathan, and, um, and uh, you know, he, he's a great man, met, met a great deal in my life uh, growing up. I'd do anything for him and for his family. Um, but here, here's the deal. He, he wanted to be an evangelist growing up. And so I saw the pictures. He has this huge hair um, back in the 70s, white polyester suit, white shoes, you know, really kicking it, looking pretty cool. And, uh, and he wanted to be an evangelist. And he, at one particular point in his life, he went up, he went to Moody Bible Institute, and he went to Dwight L. Moody's grave, and he knelt down next to it, and he said, God, give me a double portion of what you had given the great Dwight L. Moody. Please give it to me. And so he had prayed, much like Elisha did for Elijah in the Old Testament. And so he prays, God, give me a double portion of this. And so what we find is this, is, is he began to struggle because he began to preach, but he knew that there was something missing for him. And nagging in the back of his mind is he knew that his baptism was on the wrong side of his salvation. He knew that he was never truly fully obedient to what God had called him to do. And he was at a revival and he was about to preach it. And when he was sitting on that bed, he was convicted over it. He didn't even know what to do about it. He said, what can I do? I can't come forward now. I'll just wait until I get home to my home church to get baptized. That's what I'll do. I'll just wait. And then that way, I won't cause anybody to be able to stumble. But he couldn't get, underneath, he couldn't get out from underneath the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And at that particular point, he went and he preached that night. And the Holy Spirit not only fell on that congregation, but it fell all over him, the conviction. And when the invitation came and the pastor was down front, he was the first one to walk down and to take the pastor's hand and say, I need to get baptized today to be obedient to what God has called me to be. So what do you do? Listen, I don't want people to be confused on this. I don't want some people to sit back and the point of this was not, oh man, I don't know if I was saved or not. And then for the next 20 years, determine when, with, how, when, whatever. The key is, is that you are born again. That's the key. But I do believe that there are probably some people in our church that are struggling with this issue. And they've been struggling for quite some time because they know in the back of their mind that they were saved, but they were never truly biblically baptized. And so what they do is they struggle with that. And I want to encourage you as a brother in Jesus Christ, as your pastor, as the under-shepherd of Jesus Christ, to be obedient, to be obedient. You said, well, what if I'm scared to do it? Faith is doing, not merely believing. Be obedient to what God has called you to do. Now, in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. I'm going to ask Jonathan to come at this time, and he's going to begin singing. And this invitation is open for many different reasons, for any reason. 
For one is we're about to take the Lord's Supper and we need to make sure that we have every sin confessed up to date. Amen? That we're not living in sin, that we're making sure that we're confessing daily our sin before God. He is faithful to forgive, of course. We also need this time for some of you to be able to sit there and go, God, I've been disobedient in this area. I need to be biblically baptized. We'd love to talk to you about that, get you some counseling and work through that with you. There are some others of you that, that, that just flat out, you're like, man, I've never been baptized because I've just never been saved. Or I've been baptized, but the truth is, I truly don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. I would love to talk with you. We have counselors here that would love to share the gospel, the glorious good news of Jesus Christ with you this morning. I'm gonna ask you just this morning to stand and we're gonna pray and we're gonna let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does best, work in your mind, work in your heart. And will we submit to his leading this morning, Jesus? We come to you. We thank you. God, I pray that you would just work in this time. God, if there are any that need to be baptized scripturally, God, I pray that you would lead them. Guide them that they will not sin against their conscience and what they believe the word of God says, but they will submit to that. God, I pray if anyone need to be saved, save them today in Jesus' name. Amen.